My name is Joshua Edward Wright. I was imprisoned in Portland, Oregon, United States for 50 months. And during that time, I realized that not a lot of people know what we go through. So what I will be offering is personal narrative in the hope that the listener will be able to realize the validity of the statement that no human being belongs in a cage. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the podcast, The Exiled Voice. Today, I have with me Takuma. Takuma, you want to introduce yourself? Yes, my name is uh, Takuma Jackson. I um, actually served 21 of a 33-year sentence. Okay, cool. I really appreciate you being on. That is a stretch of time. Uh, if you want to go for the audience, just talk about you know how the process was of you know anything you want to share related to your arrest. Um, just just that whole thing. But we'd love to hear it. It was it was it was a crazy time. I was young, not really was doing bad. Just made a lot of bad decisions and went to jail. Um, pretty much what I considered the rest of my life. You know, being sentenced to 30, 33 years and maybe a few extra months, three hundred ninety six months to be exact. The arrest. It, it was nothing fun about the arrest. They were looking for me for about four or five hours and. You know, got beat up pretty bad throughout the process when they found me. Of course, who was I to complain because I felt like they felt like I was the fugitive. And, of course, it was like beating me up. I felt like, well, maybe that was the compensation. I don't know. At the time, I was young, and it, and it was what it was, you know, so I was in it pretty beat up. But it was it was a long, drawn-out stretch, man, from, from being arrested, you know, going through the whole court process, you know, through the prison process, psychologically, you know, emotionally, mentally. It was, it was a lot, so. You know, I try. I was trying my hardest not to relive a lot of that because it, it was a lot. But you know, you think about them day to days. It's a lot longer than what people think. You know, what I'm saying when you're trying to figure out what's what's the next thing that's going to happen. Why you, you know you're facing that that pretrial and that you know that arraignment the whole nine. So yeah, most definitely. And did you uh, did you end up taking the deal or did you go to trial or what happened with that? Nah, nah. Think about it, man. I I've never I've never admitted any guilt or anything like nothing like that. It wasn't nothing of that sort. When you're being guided, you know, by a public defender, you know, you, you, you're pretty much going by what the public defender says. And, you know, you know, a guy coming in and it's like, Hey, this guy's seasoned. And, you know, I don't know what seasoned mean. You no know, big guy's been in for all these years with all these cases. I guess he knows what he's doing. Yeah. There's a process. I, I went through something a little bit similar. I, I had to, take mine to trial because I didn't feel comfortable saying I was guilty of something I didn't do. That was the thing, though, is, is I, I, I because they told me I had to go to trial. You know, I mean, I didn't, I, like I said, I didn't know what the situation was. I, like I said, this court process, what am I supposed to do? So I kind of just went with the flow, you know, and, and that's just the way it was. And it ended up being a trial. And, and that's what it was. I think, oh, oh you know what? I, I, I take that back. I, I do apologize. I take that back. Actually, the district attorney at the time was um and I'm trying to remember Stacy Hayworth was the district attorney on my case at the time and something crazy happened in my case and I ended up with like Charles Ball was ended up becoming a district attorney and they was like okay and there were all these threats about this and if you don't do this if you don't testify if you don't do that if you don't I don't know it was a bunch of stuff you know I guess it was one of those things to kind of get you emotional you know get you all you know I'm young it was a lot man and it got to the point where I know all I found myself in trial. <laughs> That's why I know I found myself in trial by myself 
and and you know, it was on with the show, man. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. I found myself in a similar position, just trying to be like, no, nah, I never entered this house. I didn't burglarize this residence, you know. And yeah. It's so much to try and prove that you're innocent that it's like it's just not it's really rare that that even happens, you know. So so I kind of I remember that process for myself. But yeah, going going further a little bit, I'd love to hear about, you know, once that whole process was done, you know, and you you knew that you were heading to to a penitentiary to, you know, what were you focused on? What were you struggling with? What were you thinking about? When you know, when you when you. The craziest thing happened, man. You know, it's this is the kind of stuff you see in movies. Man, I don't know. It was I kind of it was like a it was like a, such a dry humor, but it was it was a, it was a painful humor, man. I remember sitting in the courthouse and uh, being found guilty, and uh, I remember this movie. The movie Life was coming on. And I was sitting in the courthouse. So I'm like, man, you got to be kidding me. Oh, are you serious? So I'm, I'm sitting there now. I'm really I'm I'm not really tripping out, but I'm really I'm tripping out. So. You know, went to this process of just saying I'm guilty. Then there was this, you know, trial, jury misconduct thing I had, and all this stuff. Three day evidentiary hearing and stuff, and it was all that chaos and confusion. And I had they had to stop the trial and give me the three day evidentiary hearing for that. And then they had to, you know, that was no, I think it was, yeah, I think it was after it was before the trial had ended. It was a bunch of crazy mess. So it was emotional. But once I got convicted, heard this little song. Well, I mean, I was listening to this music by Life. I was like on this life uh, soundtrack. I'm like, what the hell? And so as I'm sitting in my cell, I'm fighting. The, I'm trying to fight to get back into this courthouse before I actually get shipped out. You know what I mean? Because you know, there was a lot of stuff going on that shouldn't have went down. You know, that's a lot of legal stuff. But I'm sitting there, man, and, and it's so surreal that I'm not even realizing, man, that my life just got handed to me on a platter, man. And I'm going to go through this 33 plus years. And I'm sitting there and scraping and fighting like what's just happened because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking it in just now. But my family, my friends, they taking it in. I mean, they crying, man. I, I mean, it's just everything is happening around me. And I'm like, man, there was no thoughts. There was no emotions. I was just stuck like, okay, I need to just do this. I was like in that legal mode, trying to stay in that mode because I didn't want to take it to the fact that I'm going to get on this bus. I'm going to get on this chain. I'm going to get shackled down, take this long ride. So I don't know where. And I went back when Clackamas County was still open. So, you know, it was that, that long haul up and down that hall and that stretch of staying there for a couple of weeks. So they find placement and it was all that. No, man, it was a lot, man. So yeah, man, (laughs) I, I, it's been a long time since I sat back and relived that little, that little piece of journey, man. It was a lot, man. Yeah, most definitely. I remember with my trial as well. And I talked about it quite a bit in previous podcasts but like it, it really did feel like a movie like i was in shock that i was found guilty and i was yeah. just like it, it was such a surreal experience and yeah everyone was like my family was crying and i was just like blank i just i didn't know what what, what just happened i was like this can't be real this has to be like a nightmare or something and then i went you know the cops took me back in the back of the courthouse courtroom and I they put me in the elevator with a cop and I just started like crying and it was, it was rough, man. And then, yeah, going, going into jail and stuff like that, going into prison, I was even worse. Cause I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what I was, what I was going into. Um, but yeah, so I appreciate you sharing all that. Another thing uh, for the audience is, you know, once you got to the place you were at, 
um, you know, what, what were you trying to focus on at the start? And, and I'd love to, you know, go in further than that. If you want to talk about, you know, programs that you did, uh, stuff you did to stay safe, to, to stay sane, you know, any of that you want to talk about, we'd love to hear it too. Yeah. Well, you know, when I first got there, you know, you know, in, in full transparency, man, when I got there, I was still in, you know, in a little bit of shock, but I was still in that mode to where, you know, I was like, okay, this, this can't phase me right now. I'm good, but, but I'm not conforming to anything. I'm not doing nothing. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I need to do. And I think the last thing I thought about was how I was going to get back out. Actually, it wasn't that because I was still fighting the appeals and stuff. And I still was in that phase. So, but the fighting mode was still there. And I still had that little bit of hope to, to cling on to when I got there. But when I first got there, I think the first year down, I focused on getting my GED. I did do that. I, I, I wanted to make sure because I, I was, you know, I, even I haven't been in school in a long time. I was 26. I went in there, got that, you know, because I already had been working on it while I was in the county jail, you know, as a prerequisite to trying to get it anyway. So I was still doing a little bit of some productivity while I was still fighting this case. And uh, so by the time I got to, you know, the, the Snake River, you know, I did secure that. You know, that was one of my low achieving moments when I first got there, but that was all I did, you know, for maybe the first so many five plus years, I was too busy trying to cling on to stuff that I couldn't cling on to and got too many distractions. And I wasn't trying to let go of stuff. And then I was trying to muster like, well, man, you got to let it go. But then it was like, I didn't really want to let it go. And it was, it was having me in a tug of war with myself, my emotions and everything. You know, while I was sitting there trying to trying to figure out what I was going to do. And the, the hardest part about being handed 33 and a half years, the hardest part about being handed a sentence like that when you're coming down is looking at the, the bottom end of it. Like, you like, okay, this is the starting point, man. And I'm trying to psychologically get my head geared up to it. And I'm thinking to myself, all I got to get is to the halfway mark. And once I get to the halfway mark, I can take some of the pressure off my emotions and my feelings and then work my way back down the hill. But then the depression, that little depression shit started to try to kick back in. Like, well, wait a minute. Once you get down the hill, you know, you're going to be about 60 years old. And then that comes in to play. So that's what I struggled with the first five years. And that led me everywhere, but where I needed to be no production, you know, in and out of this in and out of that. I couldn't get no clear conduct shit. Just constantly in the stuff, man, because that mean I, I was that time was eating at my ass. The first seven years was the hardest fucking time I ever did in my life, man. I was like, and then of course it was the only time I did. But what I'm saying is, I ain't never struggled with so many emotions, man. I'm, you know, you try to put on that brave face, that face, catching all you is. I am who I am. You know, I wasn't no punk or nothing like that. But at the same time, trying to control those emotions and going to the cell, like man, trying to release that shit and the Snake River. You don't get that very often because out there it's all two man sales. So, so your private time is just really nothing unless you go in there and say, hey, Sally, I got off and spend some time in the cell or I'm going to, you know, use this restroom. It's like, and that's the only time. So I couldn't, I couldn't release, man. And man, I'm telling you. So as, as time went by, man, I started to cling on to some elderly brothers that were shooting time and, you know, stuff in my ear from all ethnic backgrounds. But Snake River just didn't offer nothing, man. You had to be with an end crowd. And if something was offered, you, man, you was picked, knew a lottery. You know, they had all kind of programs, grant programs, where you had to be between the ages of 18 and 30 or something and getting out of this time. And so at my age, I could they wouldn't offer me education. 
They wouldn't offer me transitional job, vocational. I couldn't get none of that because of the time I had and the age that I was. And it was like, well, there's no purpose for us wasting this resource on you. You're going to be here. So they never thought about my transition out or the fact that I was going to make it out. And I never, that never really sat with me at the time. It just made me more angry. You know what I mean? But at, at some point within my 10th year, I try to settle down, you know, and process and get some stuff together. People had left me. I had to figure out my income situation. So it forced me to work. I created a good work ethic, man. I've always had a good work ethic, though. You know, maybe work even more. Well, I, I was working, but I got better jobs. So let me say that. You know, I became a facilitator for, you know, janitorial programs, working with Treasure Valley, working, you know, the top positions at, you know, prospectors and at call centers. And, you know, I was getting all these good positions, man, because of the way I talk and interact with people. You know what I mean? And, and, and had those leadership qualities, which I didn't know I had, but other people saw you know what I'm saying? So they nurtured that, you know, in me, man. And I was able to, uh, you know, start communicating with people and not even knowing that that would have been a start. That that actually my 10th year, unbeknownst to me, was really the start of my clemency. And I never even knew if I even wanted one, even knew what it was. But I had started some type of transformation at that point. And when I look back, you know what I mean? And then, you know, there was my ups and downs, you know, along the way. It happens. You know what I mean? You get caught up in different situations. And sometimes it just happens. And you know, you being locked down, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's like, oh, what just happened? Bam, and now you're in it. And it's like, hey, you know what I mean? It's like, I never was a person to kick up any, any bull or did anything sometimes. It's just, and you're in there, it's just, it gets chaotic, man. And I always thought that that would always keep me there forever because I wanted to avoid that chaos, man. It was like, I knew I was there. And sometimes I was just, it was what it was. And then it was that loyalty and those friendships and those relationships you form with people, man, and those bonds. And it's like, and you feel some type of way when somebody, people think you're just doing time in prison, but you're doing 20 and 30 plus years, bro. And I even say 10, you know, and, I, and I'm not trying to knock out anybody doing less, but I'm just talking about from my own personal feelings and experience that you're actually living there. You're cohabitating with people at that point, man. So you form those bonds and shit, man. You know what I mean? And at that point, you know, you and this person, y'all cool. Oh, y'all met over a bowl of soup. Yeah, we might have met over a bowl of soup. I met this dude out here at the at the market. I met this dude over here at a golf course. However the fuck we met, man, those bonds are being still formed, man. Friendships are being made. And sometimes you get caught up in bullshit. And I thought that would be to my detriment, man. But but it was a lot of people that, you know, that was in, in there. You know, and I call it divine intervention, whatever you want to call it. You know, it's what I call it, you know. And, and it played a role, you know, towards me moving to where I'm at right now. So, you know, it got me to OHP where, where things changed pro-social. I was able to pursue college degrees if I wanted it, vocational training, HVAC, licenses. I mean, it was the transition was so crazy when I got there in 2013. And that atmosphere made me want to thrive and do better. You know what I mean? Because I was finally somewhere where I can thrive and do better, even if it was another prison setting. You know, it had its ups and downs, but it had more than what I was being offered those 12 plus years I did in Snake River. You know what I mean? And that's what started my journey towards of course, unbeknownst to me, because I wasn't pushed towards clemency, and I was still trying to find a way to get back in the court. You know, I had things I wanted to fight about, man, but, you know, I, I was still, you know, my main thing was my kids are getting older, you know, and I want them to look like Pops is riding in prison. So, you know, whether I was getting out or not, I wanted to let them know that I had to do something to show that it wasn't just about me doing doing time and just riding in prison. So I got involved, man, and, and I started doing a lot of stuff. And which brought me to this day. So, yeah, definitely blessed, grateful for the governor for 
you know, grant me this clemency after, you know, gave me an opportunity to be out here and do what I'm doing, uh, which I know will get to that point. But, yeah. No, I really appreciate all that. And just, just your detail going through it, talking about it, I appreciate that for the audience. I'd love to hear, you know, more about, because I remember just those, those bonds that, that I formed during time, just from people that I, I, would, I would have never interacted with or come across on the streets. But like, we can't be like straight up brothers and like a family, because you're living, like you said, you're living with these people for years. Yeah. And so, yeah, like that type of experience. But also, I remember trying to keep in touch with people on the outside, on the streets, and it was really hard. Just all the barriers that are placed, you know, in between us. But did you have, you know, people on the outside that you kept in touch with? Did you have visits? You know, did you, were you able to make some, you know, phone calls regularly, stuff like that? Let, write letters? How was that process for you? Well, you know, the presence, you know, when I got locked up so long ago, you know, I guess 2022 20, going on 22 plus now, since I first got locked up. And back then, you know, phone systems the travel systems the it was it was some of the worst of the worst you know i used to have in order to make a phone call you know because you know we're from 375 to almost five bucks just for the first connection you know and and, and then you're, you're paying you know two three dollars or whatever you know per minute man and our phone calls were like 25 dollars just to talk and you know and and you didn't have the prepaid and all the crap everything was collected and my people, man, they 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 wasn't having money like that. And so talking to them was it was it was far and few. Um, my mother was religious about writing, but you know most mothers are. And, and for those that didn't have the opportunity to have that, you know, what I'm saying I, I do always carry in my prayers, and 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 I never take it. I try to take advantage of that, you know, appreciate it, man, because I know that mom, she, that that was all she could do: send a card, send a letter. But you know, I had other family members. They were doing what they were doing. And I never held it against them because, you know, that were their characteristic traits. And, but, you know, I reached out to them when I could, you know, and, and they write when they could. And, you know, people don't write letters like that, man. I, you know, back in the day, some, some do, you know, it was a thing to do, but people just didn't write. But I made sure I stayed writing. I stayed in contact. I stayed, you know, let them know, hey, I'm doing all right. Or I sent a card or a letter. And I knew they received it. And even if they didn't respond or I was able to, get something through my mother or a message, you know, I knew it was all genuine love because one of the things that I realized, and I said, this, you know, it's unfortunate at times when, you know, our friends and families, you know, don't always reach out to us while we're doing time when we're incarcerated and we, and we feel some type of way. But then the realization is, 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 is I was said something that was told to me about some families and some friends as I was doing time, because at, at one point I was like, man, y'all don't even care about me yet. I can't get a card, a letter. I'm serious. Can you just pick up the phone? And then as over the years came, phones got cheaper and I was able to come like, man, you can't even get, you know, and I start blank. I start, wait a minute, hold up, wait a minute. Who in their right mind signs up to come through 33 and a half years with someone, man? The thing is, man, didn't nobody sign up for that, man. People want to be supportive. They want to love you, man. But we never take the time to sit down and think about the emotional traumas and the stuff that's going on with them, you know, what may be going on. Cause I had, man, I'm gonna tell you this, and, I, and I'm gonna share this and I, just, just a little bit. And I had a relative that called me, well, I called a relative one time and she broke some of the most heartbreaking news to me when I was in prison and I had just got there and she was real young and, 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 it, and it devastated me to the point where I could do was offer support and love. But then I realized that my absence was missed. 
So I had to stop being selfish about how I felt about people not answering my call or, or answering my letter because I left some people in turmoil too, man. You know what I mean? So I guess in an, I'm just in a nutshell, man, that's kind of, you know, I, I just felt I had to answer that question. Man. Definitely. No, I appreciate that. I, I had to come to that realization. It took me years too. I just realized that, you know, people have lives, man. It's, and it's like you said, like they want to be there for you. They want to love you and stuff, but there's, there's just so much barrier and so many things in the way of like staying in touch, you know, with your family member, with your loved one. I remember I, I was arrested when I was like two weeks after my 26th birthday, almost the same age that you were, I think that you yeah. said. And, yeah. and, I, and I had like a, I had a young girlfriend. I think she was like 21, 22. We were going to yeah. college together. And I, I, I started being resentful when she, you know, couldn't make video visits, couldn't make real visits. Uh, Cause they had video visits at the time that I was arrested. It was in like 2014 or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, and then I started to realize like this, this woman's young, she's still going to college. Like it's not, it's not her job to do any of that stuff, let alone how hard it is just to, to write a letter. Like you were saying, people don't really write like that. Like it's like to, to hand write a letter, put it in an envelope, get a stamp, you know, go to the post office. Like that's a process and people are busy, you know, people are living their lives. And so that, that was hard for me to, to realize. But once I did, it was almost freeing to understand that, you know, it wasn't anything personal. It wasn't about me. It was, it, there's so much, it's so much more complicated than that. You know, it's bigger than me. Exactly. And so, you know, that helped me a lot, but I'm glad you kind of touched on that same thing. And, you know, we're able to understand that a lot of people do in time. I think it, it's hard to get to that point to understand. So you know, I'm kind of glad that you did because it makes things easier. But um, I'd love to know also more about, you know, once you got to OSP, like you were saying, after you did you know, over a decade at Snake River, um, you know, all the programs you were talking about. I'd love to hear about that experience, you know, how that how the how like programming makes our time easier and how it was for you. Yeah, man, that's uh, when I first got there, I guess. Snake River at the time was a little more freeing as far as, you know, open bay rooms and open yard, stuff like that. But I got to OSP, you know, it was like, you know, one yard and, you know, you might have got that every other day if you got lucky, if you didn't have a job or you're doing something. And so I got frustrated with that because everything, some of the routines I had had, had, had to get altered and changed. And so I had to get used to that way that that cell door opened and, and had to figure out a program. And so one of the brothers had and pulled me up and was like, hey, man, you know, get up on this activity floor, get involved in something, man, we get you out of that cell. You know, and I was just using it as a, as a something to get out of the cell for it, man. But, you know, I still wanted to, I seen, I seen you know, the activity and just, just, just the, I guess what they call the hubbub, if you use, you know, more of a, you know, a square word, you know, for what was going on with OSP, and I wanted to be a part of what was going on as far as, you know, positivity, just didn't know how to. But when I got up on the activities floor, it was one of the brothers. I believe actually one of the brothers I was talking to was uh, his brother uh, and Mr. Uh, Earl Wilkins. You know what I'm saying? And he he actually uh, was like, come on up to the activities floor, see what's going on with you, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, I'll come up here and see what's going on. I was bullshitting around and, and realized, man, it was really something that I, I, I wanted to get back in, in tune with, you know, get culturally enriched, and it was a place I wanted to be. So I started, you know, dealing with them and getting involved in some programs and getting some projects and being, you know, just, you know, just getting stuff to do. 
whether it was secretarial or, or setting up a program or setting up some chairs, whatever it was involving, you know, services of the club, you know, kind of got me involved in a lot of community service too, man. So I was able to involve myself and talk to people, you know, that I probably normally wouldn't talk to. I wasn't really antisocial. I would call one of the elders that used a social selective. But that was even some bullshit because, you know, because now you, you are kind of being antisocial, man. But but at the end of the day, this, this position forced me to be more pro-social, you know, because I was, like I said, I was facilitated out of Snake River doing certain things, but I still was in a, in a con, you know, controlled environment. I was only dealing with 20 people at a time. Here, up here, you're dealing with the entire floor and you're dealing with every culture, you know, every ethnic background, everybody. And so, you know, because every club is right next to each other. You got the Latino club, you know what I'm saying? The Coda club, you know what I'm saying? Guru, you know what I'm saying? Athletic club, you know what I mean? Lifers club, you know what I mean? It, it, it's it just all, all the clubs are there, you know what I'm saying? The Asian Pacific club, you know what I mean? It just it just goes on and on. So you, you're always interacting with everybody, which was which was a beautiful thing because I'm seeing how everybody interact on the floor outside about, you know, in the field and I realized the way they act in the field is the way they act up here. It's not a show. And so I wanted to be involved in more stuff. I started to involve myself in, in more clubs. You know, mm-hmm. you have to get three legally, you know, but I was of course doing stuff with other clubs. It's ways to get involved with other clubs without actually being on the roster, which was cool. So and that's kind of how I got involved in all the different programs I did, man. And it's a trip because I can name them. It's so many because there were so many little ones and big ones that I don't leave nobody out. But I was involved with programs with the Latino club, involved with programs, you know, um, with the Asian club. Now, I, now some of the biggest programs, and I'm saying I'm not saying this from a biased standpoint, you know, Yahoo, man, we've always, you know, we, we were we always try to we we were pushing that line. We're the gold standard. So when you push you the gold standard, you got to go the extra mile doing everything. Sometimes, man, he used to wipe us all the way out, but you got to walk with your talk, you know. So. You know, we tried to do all the things, but I think one of the biggest things we did outside of helping the community out, you know, out, you know, our surrounding communities, you know, you know, Marion County, you know, Mona McKellick Central Schools and the kids and, you know, our our programs, Young World Youth program we had, you know, it was being run by Micah Murphy and Jamie Henderson. You know what I mean? That program, which was excellent, you know, we had with SEC and and um, Mickey Honeycutt and a lot of people, Tawanika Washington. It was it was a lot going on. It was, it was one of the greatest programs I've seen. But one of the ones that was closest to me, you know, as far as getting involved with something is when we put on a community barbecue for the entire prison. We took we, we, we took the funds and we partnered up with the Lifers Club, you know, which was which is led, you know, by Robert Kelly, the president of Lifers Club. Uh, I believe actually the first black president of that club. You know, which 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 we you know was a celebratory moment, and we actually man put on a barbecue and fed the entire prison, guards and all. You know, and and, and it was that community moment we had, that fellowship moment we had, and it was like I said, it was a barbecue, man. You get your chips. I mean, you had your hot dogs, your hamburgers. You know, your chips, your ice cream, and was and we fed everybody, man. And it was that community fellowship, man, that that kind of stood out the most for me with all the things that I was involved in there because it showed the community in there, man, that, listen, man, just because we up in here, you know, we ain't got to, you know, walk around here and get, to, you know, skipping and dosey doing in here, but at the same time, we can communicate on different levels, you know, and, and towards, you know, advancement of some of us, you know, most of us, well, hopefully all of us getting out of here, but that was one of the, one, one of the biggest achievement and defining moments for me, 
you know, it was that community fellowship and what you who and the Rifles Club had put on together. And don't get me wrong, it was it was fellowship there because there was other brothers from other, you know, other clubs that were involved in that, you know, that were on the line with us and showed that fellowship and that commitment. And there was also, you know, officers there, lieutenants, you know what I'm saying, uh, uh, Brown, you know what I mean, and, and a few others. So it was, it was a beautiful thing, man. But like I said, I, I did my education. I try to further my education. I've got some other um, certifications under my belt, dealing with the HAP organization, um, CDSNP, uh, dealing with them. Well, I was able to help people with chronic pain. Um, I did a lot of stuff in, in dealing with hospice. You know, it, it, it was, it was, there were so many things I was doing in there to try to better myself, you know, as far as, as my community inside and out. Um, and it's like I said, it's hard for me going on the list because there's so many things, man. But I can actively say, um, now I will say this, and, and I have to make this honorable mention, and it's not even honorable mention because it means a lot to me and, and the guys that I did it with. You know, we had did the, we, 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 the brother, the brother, um, Johnny Kofer, Asian Pacific Club, he came up with this wild idea. And I don't say wild idea, but in there they call them wild ideas. Came up with an idea to build a healing garden in, in OSP. And everybody laughed at him. For years they laughed at him. He came, he did all the work. They laughed at him. Then, and, and there's a healing garden in OSP right now. One of the most beautiful gardens I've ever seen. I was a part of him to build that project, you know, with him, you know, and, 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 and Dr. Uh, Dr. H, you know, one of the, the guys that builds all the healing gardens, pretty much one of the most renowned around the world. And that was another big project I was able to be involved in, which was, which was special to me because it brought a lot of, a lot of community to the garden. You know what I mean? A lot of, a lot of meditation, you know, the garden with the koi fish and walking across the ponds and, you know, so, you know, like I said, I mean, the list goes on and on and on, man. And I can talk for days, man, but, but those are some of the things that, that stood out to me the most as far as, uh, you know, uh, um, community, you know, achieving moments, stuff that started my transition, you know what I mean? To, to, to you know, to, to being a better, a better, a me, a version of myself. You know, but like I said, I can I can pinpoint individuals, you know, if you like, but those are some of the things that stood out the most to me, man. Absolutely. I really appreciate that too. Yeah, it's I think the the programs and the events are, are some of my fondest memories in prison. Just all the stuff I was involved in, all the events that we were putting together and I was I was leading. I did like entertainment, I did music events, family events, yeah. all kind of stuff over time. Uh for the audience, Yuhuru Sasa is something that Takuma was mentioning a lot. You should look it up. It's they've done so much work inside and outside of prison. Um, mainly, I think they started at OSP. They've been at OSP for decades, but yeah. Well, let me let let me say this because, and like I said, I, I wanted to get to that point. I just like to say about the you know the things I'm talking about is kind of prerequisite because at the end of the day, you know, Yuhuru Sasai, I'm, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, it saved my life. You know, I'm be honest with you. You know, the presence that were there, you know, from 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 Johnny O. Smith, you know, what I'm saying Micah Murphy, you know what I mean, uh, 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 to Anthony Pickens, you know, to our now president, uh, um, uh, um, uh, Theron. The thing is, is we we put like you said, the, the fundraisers we put on, like when we hear about the community, you know, someone losing their home or 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 kid being shot or or kids not being able to make it to school, they'll have bus passes or or you know, when there was the big fires and, you know, around there and everybody was losing businesses or businesses were, were, were losing money. We got together, man, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and start having fundraisers within that walls, that prison system, man, and start 
and start helping, you know, businesses stay alive, stay alive just by ordering some meals, you know, from time to time or, you know, so there's a lot of things we're doing in, in that aspect. But one of the biggest things I liked about Yahoo, man, because we led in a lot of ways was the youth self program and the mentorship program. One of the things about the youth self and the mentorship program, it was one of the programs that invited the entire community uh, um, and it was accepted by OSP counselors, administrations as being something that was tangible to say a person that's really had been making change. And it was reflecting upon their parole, their release, the parole board. And it, and it was really tangible stuff. And Yahoo Sasa has spearheaded these programs and still spearheads these programs with the Ron Hall, you know, at, 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 at the helm, you know, as the president for Yahoo Sasa, which, which is a beautiful thing. And the brothers that are winning, you know, and so it, and, and we had the legal program, you know, which kind of got me to where I was to help start steering me towards my clemency program, you know, with Cassio Rushless and, you know, and Ashley Albies and, and the others, which is a beautiful thing. And that was spearheaded by Troy Ramsey, which I know that you, which had just been recently granted clemency right after I have, have been. He was, he was the, our, uh, our legal head, you know, in Yahoo's South Side that helped, you know, create the, that. And then the brother that's down there, Dwayne McClinton, had created the clemency class and other financial programs that's in there now. So we've done financial programs when you saw we created credit building programs. While I'm actually able to build my credit, actually with an organization called Innovative Changes that was at Lloyd Center. But they so we were providing so many different avenues of helping brother people with real estate start businesses, build their credit, um, legal help. We had legal courts. I mean, we had every everything that we can do to try to help enrich all cultures and, and, and help men and even even some women when we can extend to them, you know, to, to, to get what they need and the tools they need to help better their situation or, or, or strengthen their knowledge or whatever, help someone else's situation. Man, Yuhuru, man, we, we were going hard in the pay for that. But like I said, we didn't always do it alone. Sometimes we were forced to do it alone, but we didn't always do it alone, man. We had a lot of other clubs that actually helped. And that's why I always mentioned them, man. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of people that, I did a lot of stuff with this, just different people, David Olson, Matt Berta, Ben Hall. Yes, absolutely. Like and just ben Hall. <laughs> yeah, my buddy, man. Yeah, you knew Ben? Yeah. Yeah, cool. You thought so, because he was, I mean, him and Skits both did a bunch of time at OSP. Yeah, yeah. You know, we know the activity floor, man. You know, we did a lot of out there, you know, at, at the softball fields and everybody doing their thing, you know. Yeah, Doug, Doug Sanders was the president at the time. Uh, did you hear about Ben passing away? Yeah, I I heard about that from a um, from a good friend of mine, uh, Tracy Slap, um, that does um, that's part of the um, um, that came in there and did the Johnny Cash um, programs. Yeah, did like bridge, bridge work organization. Yeah, she had mentioned that to me, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a minute, what? He was involved in a nonprofit I, I co-founded with a, a prison volunteer at a Columbia River called Liberation Literacy. Yeah. He's also involved in a Phoenix Rising Transitions, which I, I was able to be appointed the, the president of the board of after I got out. And I was involved with him in that for like three years at, at Columbia River, too. And when yeah, that Liberation, Liberation Literacy, there was some Terrence Hayes was involved in? Yeah, he's still involved. He's our uh, like our executive director right now. We yeah. That's my. That's another good friend of mine, man. Yeah, Terrence Hayes is cool. Yeah, I, 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 I remember when he first came to Snake River as a young, young kid, man, and yep. he had went to he had went to school, um, 
you know, down in New Mexico with, with my sister. And I, and I, I seen all this in him, man. And, and I was like, so I, I embraced him, man. He was a good kid, man. I, I like that guy, man. He, he's turned out to be a, a great guy, man. Yeah, definitely. I was really yeah. impressed and, and yes. happy to have met him when he was on the kind of like the last stretch of his time. I yeah. met him right after I started Live Lit and, you know, I was trying to get him involved then. And he's like, I'm, I'm leaving, man. So, so I was like, OK, cool. But, you know, a couple of years later, after him and I were both out, you know, he got back involved and it's, it's been really good. Yeah. I'd love to just hear more about the clemency and that whole process and, you know, what went down with that. OK, so. The pandemic was crazy, of course. Um, what started was, you know, I, I was working with Josh Kane out in um, out Laundry, and you know, good, 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 good guy, man. And I remember seeing Josh Kane, and I said, like, "Hey, Josh, what's going on, man?" He's like, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going home, man." I was like, you know, we congratulated him because he did a lot of time, man. Guy let a, did a lot of good, you know what I mean? And and I, and and, it, and it's and it's always a pleasure to see somebody being rewarded, you know what I mean? For for seeing stuff that we've seen that maybe others haven't seen, you know what I mean? And, and even though it may not seem like much, but, but, but I'm saying all this to say this, when I saw him and I asked him, you know, he, cause he had got on the clemency and, and I didn't really know about clemencies that well and kind of knew about it really didn't. And I said, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe I should try, you know, and I, I didn't put any stock into it because, you know, nobody feels like you've done enough to, to, to feel like you've, you know, prove yourself worthy or even to even have an audience or ear to even listen to what you're saying. You know what I mean? But I, I guess, I don't know. I'm, I don't, like I said, I've never, never been that type of person. So, but I decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and write a, a clemency and, 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 you know, kind of let her know the things that I've been doing and, and, you know, what's going on my situation and what's, what was inclusive of that clemency, you know, was my health stuff. You know, I had to explain what was going on with my health because that was another issue. And like you said, it did fall during the pandemic, you know? And, and at that point, at that time, you know, uh, at that time when I started to write this, this clemency, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the pandemic hit right. It's like, right. Um, right. When I decided to write it, but I didn't get a chance to write it because the pandemic had hit. It was in March, the end of March, well, the mid March. And I was like, what? So I'm sitting here like, OK, well, I'll think about this, some clean stuff later. But I was able to to uh, do some things and, and get get some paperwork from the Lifers Club and, and got the stuff. And, you know, I was trying to figure it out. I didn't know how to write it. You know, I was just trying to get stuff and figure out what to do. And, you know, I had contacted um, the organization, you know, with Elisa Kaplan, you know, that does the clemency stuff and Lewis and Clark, you know, those guys up there. And, you know, and was trying to get some information and those guys that guided me along the way on so many different parts of this clemency packet because I really didn't have a clue. I thought I was going to go in there and type in a paragraph in each, each slot and, and then submit it. And that would be it. And, you know, and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. You know what I mean? So I had, there was some guidance there to try to figure out how to write it, but I didn't, but, but one of the things that I wanted to be to ensure is that I was very transparent. That there was nothing left for interpretation. You know, that I didn't have any hidden agendas, um, that that I didn't have no expectations, but I didn't want to go in there like I was just throwing mud on the wall either to see what sticks. So I didn't want them to know I was coming. I was sincerely, sincerely, genuinely, my entire heart, soul, body and mind, spirit. I wanted to go home and show that I can 
do what I say. Even, you know, and, 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 you know, it might not be as quick as I wanted, but I, I wanted these words to resonate those words also, you know what I mean? So, I, you know, like I said, that, that, that clemency, that part, like I said, I wasn't thinking about clemency until that time, you know what I mean? I thought about it before, but until that time, and, and that's when I started, but right before, and then when it happened, we had got shut down and, um, something happened with my heart. And I took some steps for myself, like 15 steps, man, and I collapsed. Sat there for a couple minutes, walked a few more steps, collapsed again. And um, the officer was like, hey, man, go to go upstairs, man. I went upstairs to come to EKG. And just so happened the doctor was there. Just so happened to be afternoon. Just so happened to be a, a date, a weekday. <laughs> and uh, wasn't one of those, you know, nurses that said, oh, you're fine. Take an uh, ibuprofen and go back to your cell situations. Thank God. Uh, they said, uh, take him to the hospital now. This is, of course, this is, uh, this is the January before the January I got out. This is one year before. Um, and they were like, uh, man, your heart is beating so fast. It's getting ready to explode. It was being like 147, 135, 145, 117. It was just going crazy. And I said, what? So it's been beating like this the whole time. So the whole time I'm thinking I had already got this. COVID before they pretty much baby knew it was even around. Cause it was like, like it was November when they started hearing, when they started hearing about it in December or something in January, they was like, whatever. And then they didn't start really getting serious about it until March. But I, I don't know if I had got it before they, I don't know what it was associated with, but anyway, they went in there, injected me at Salem, Salem health hospital. And, you know, this whole time I was thinking about this, this is kind of a back, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit before um, the year before I got out. Um, before I started to write this clemency. Uh, it's probably a few months before I started to write this clemency. But anyway, so they took me down there. They had to stop my heart and it took them three start, three tries to restart it. Top boat, she said, I came up to bed, I don't know, about six feet. And man, I swear to God, man, it was my darkest moment because I thought I was going to die. I was like, man, I'm thinking about clemency. I'm thinking about this, thinking about that. And I'm thinking like, man, here I am going to die. You know what I mean? They got to stop my heart and tell me they got to restart it. They won't let me call. They won't let me call anyone. The warden said, no, I can't call anyone, but here I am finna make a decision to stop my heart and restart it. Clinical induced death. <laughs> you know what I mean? So all the stuff was running through my head. You know what I'm saying? And, and some other stuff I'll tell you down the line that was, you know, about my daughter. Just it was crazy. But all the stuff was playing in my head. And I kept thinking about, man, I'm trying to find some way to go home and I don't want to go like this. And I came out of that situation, came back, and so I filed them a, a lawsuit. Um, against the Department of Corrections, so I already had um I thought I already had a, um uh, my Ramos no I don't I'm not, I can't remember if it was Ramos before the lawsuit no the Ramos I filed a Ramos PCR case for the Ramos because I followed up on the Ramos under the ten to eleven one convictions and then um I had the the hard stuff and I was like man um I got Crohn's uh, ulcerative colitis which I'm doing injections of Remicade um which is almost like a, it's like a form of chemotherapy. And then I got this, this congested heart situation going on. And so we ended up having to um, file on that because COVID had hit, they had everybody locked down and then there was nowhere to go because everybody's being exposed. And so I had to go through all this stuff and let, trying to let them know that, hey man, if I'm, I'm exposed to this, it can literally kill me. This is this diagnosis. You know, I had to go through a few months of getting the real diagnosis from some legitimate doctors that were 19, 20 year vets, you know what I'm saying? At these hospitals that, you know, wrote them out. So that was also included, 
you know, and the reason why I mentioned that, because one of the things I was instructed or guided, you know, by uh, with the clemency team um, was to be very transparent in everything that's going on, you know, as I'm asking for clemency or commutation, I have to let them know that I have a court situation going on, but it's a, it's not like a court situation outside of, um, 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 habeas corpus. It's just like a what they call a if it happens, it happens. If it don't, don't. So it wasn't really like something that's going to hold the decision back. So I had that. I have my um, medical situation going on with the lawsuit there, and then you know, then I filed this commutation. So I have three different situations going on, you know. And and like I said, I don't know what what the deciding factor is, but I do know that you know there was a mention that you know the stuff that I did do for the community and stuff I did inside, you know, to change myself and transition and help others you know, was a large part, you know, of making that decision. And the fact that I was able to parole, you know, to a stable environment and, and the people that were ready to embrace me to the community was also another, you know, role that, you know, me coming home because these were people that I was involved with while I was there, people that I interacted with. I'm talking about people from the community organizations, uh, religious leaders, uh, not even just the leaders, religious participants, uh, people from um, schools, um, they were from everywhere. You know, and I we interacted with these people on, on, a, on a regular basis and we were doing community programs and, and, and hosting events and doing everything together. And, and so these people were ready for me to come to the community and be involved, ready, ready for whatever was my leadership or, or, or my, whatever it is they needed, the, the assistance of me or whatever it was. You know, I was ready to be a part of that. And so they played a significant role in writing letters and, 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 and saying we want this man back into this community. You know, we're ready for him. So all that played a role in my clemency, you know, so I, I didn't do it alone. That's why I always make that statement, you know, I hope by T.D. Jakes, it takes a village because I know it wasn't just me. It wasn't just because of this. It wasn't because of that. You know, I knew it because it could have been a lot of things, you know what I mean? So I don't leave nobody out or devalue or invalidate or, or you know, someone that wasn't involved on some level. Absolutely. There's, there's so many people that, you know, there's, were a part of the process for me too, just being okay on the outside, being okay on the inside, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I appreciate, you know, that, that explanation and just, you know, what happened and, you know, yeah. really glad that happened, you know, that's, that's awesome. Absolutely, man. And uh, yeah, I guess going off of that, since you kind of talked about it before is all the people that were kind of helping you from the streets. I'd love to know how your release went for you, you know, once you were granted that, you know, just just how that whole process was for you. I don't when I, when I when I got out, man. I actually was filled with a lot of anxiety. I didn't think I would be because you know you're in an environment where you I'm not gonna say you necessarily conform to things, but in some ways you do conform because it's repetitive. But I, there was no there was really there was anxiety here, but not not to the level of almost where it was almost like a culture shock to me when I came when I got out. Um, greeted by my mother. You know, and, and of course, you know, the wife at the time. The thing is, I was looking at the community and, and, and didn't recognize it, you know, with the tents and just all the stuff, the graffiti. It was just, and I don't know, man, that was the first time I ever just was, I felt sad as hell, man. I was like, what the hell is going on out here? And it was a trip, though, because when you think about where I come from and all the crap that I've done in this community, then to come out and have that kind of emotion when I see something like that. It was, it was, you know, even I was, I wasn't really surprised, but I was kind of surprised to see my community in this state and the trip like that. So when I got out, 
you know, I, I was filled with so much anxiety that I kind of got into a space where I enclosed myself because, you know, COVID's still going, pandemic, they want to shelter in places, all that's going on. So I'm, I'm reaching out to one person a day. That was all I can mentally, emotionally handle was talking to one person a day. And sometimes I wait a couple of days because I couldn't handle all the questions. I couldn't handle all the what's up and when we gonna see, I couldn't handle all that, man. It was just like, because it started to remind me of the repetitiveness of being in prison. I got to answer these same questions over and over again. I was like, this is too much, man. So the anxiety was kicking in, you know, and I had told my wife at the time, it's like, listen, I'm gonna need some time to transition. I didn't think this was gonna be that much. This is a lot, you know? So I had some people, and then, not being able to go out and work like you want to or try to find work because, you know, COVID, of course, and nobody's, you know, wants you to go here, go there. And it was, it was a lot, man. So I was overwhelmed coming from one place and being confined to another, you know, or people looking at you because you didn't, your mask wasn't pulled up right, or it was a lot, man. But at the same time, you know, the freedom itself, you know what I'm saying? Just, just to, just to be standing out here, you know, thinking about, you know, the brothers and sisters that I did leave back that I, that I was, you know, that I know that I don't know, you know, I, I took that way into consideration. Like, I really don't have no complaints, man, because, you know, I'd rather be in this situation than, than where I was and dealing with this because I know anybody would trade my place, you know, in a heartbeat, you know. So that that was one of my one of the things that 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 drove me to start pushing to try to, you know, to start my own business and and to push to get a fiscal sponsorship and to get a nonprofit organization and to start doing this and doing that and 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 reaching out to people that I reached out in there, you know, like my best friend Sebastian Rogers from Peripheral Vision PDX or Talonica Washington, you know, or Michelle Jones or Mercedes Munoz. These, these are people that were just, you know, that were really in the circle in the area that was really just involved in what was going on in my transformation. And like I said, I mentioned Tracy Slap and Danny Wilson great people man i'm involved with them you know with projects and stuff so i've been reaching out to different people man you know my old friend uh, uh for life you know mr larry turner of course i don't know if you know we had a town hall meeting at one point where he had got his pardon you know and we're talking about my commutation so that was a beautiful reunion between me and him so i've been reaching out to, to people that's been involved in organizations community and stuff and and moving it forward the thing is i couldn't reach out to all of them because there's a lot you know what I mean? I just keep it real. There's a lot, man. And and I can only do so much. And they say, oh, well, just take care of yourself. And I'm like, well, I'm taking care of myself. I take care of others because that's just what I do. You know, I made a commitment to myself, made a commitment to others, you know, to my children, my family, to my community. You know what I'm saying? And so that's that's what I'm doing. So, yeah, you know, I asked me a question. I reached out to them a little at a time. And they've said, well, reach out to us when you can. So when I can, I try to involve myself in whatever was going on with them um within the boundaries you know uh, of dealing with COVID you know of course so so a lot of zoom meetings and a lot of emails and stuff <laughs> absolutely yeah I have a similar mentality is people always yeah. tell me to like slow down and calm down you know take care of yourself and then, like you just said like it's if I can make life better for someone who's done time or is actively doing time like that makes me feel better that makes me okay you know exactly and so yeah, that's why I keep pushing, keep doing what I'm doing. But yeah, man, I appreciate that. I appreciate all you all you had to say. I so appreciate you being on this show. You know, is there anything you wanna you wanna say? Like, I'd love to hear. You know, if you want the audience to know about like your nonprofit, like any what, any social media you want stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. 
you know, um, one of the things that I do want to say is, um, um, like I said, I did mention before, um, I had um, the nonprofit, the Mary Kiona Foundation is a great, great foundation because what it encompasses is it, 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 it cultures, it pretty much just all cultures, you know, race, religious, ethnic backgrounds. You know, you're dealing with mental health, domestic violence. Um, you're dealing with reentry. You know, um, it, it's uh, uh, substance abuse. You know, it's a great organization. Um, one of the organizations um, that I'm a part of, which is real true to my heart, and I hope, I hope it is to everyone else, called OASIS. That's Oregon Against Slavery and Involuntary Servitude. Um, I had the I had I, I'd had the privy um, being a part of this organization while I was incarcerated and getting out <laughs> through this through this clemency and testifying in front of the Oregon's legislation and having uh, for S uh, SJR ten. It's a bill that I was able to testify in front of legislation. You know, with 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 the rest of the organization. You know, I was invited to to do that, and we had it placed on the ballot you know, to remove this language from the 13th Amendment. So it's on the ballot uh, coming up this year. Uh, uh, so that was one of the, uh, a real exciting thing for me to have something that legislative that passed, I believe it might've been 21 to four. I don't, let me quote the number, misquote the numbers, but it was, it was an high percentile. And so that's on the ballot for this year. So I'm encouraging people to vote for that. It's a bipartisan, you know, just to remove the, that, that, that ugly language, you know, um, to get it off that, off that amendment. Um, so that, that's a major thing that I'm, I'm excited about and I hope others are excited about, you know, again, we move it forward. And one of the things that I'm working on moving forward also, and I will mention this because it's one of another exciting thing for me and I'll, I, um, it's, I'll be working, uh, uh with Scott Spencer Wolf and, um, Mr. Dave Dahl, you know, from Discover African Art. Um, the African art collection here on the West Coast. I'll be working with him uh, in the capacities of that they need me to. And I'm excited about that because, you know, we're looking forward to reaching out to, you know, different places like, you know, schools, organizations, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there's some things, you know, we're, we're, we're working out. I'm excited about future endeavors with that. So, yeah, definitely something I'm, I'm excited about, man. I've, I've been studying every day, you know, Lily Mask, you know, and stuff like that. So I definitely wanted to make sure I, I put that out there. Because I'm trying to reach back. We're well, not trying to reach back. It's something that I want to reach back um, to the Uru Sasa Cultural Club and, and hopefully um, get them involved in this project as well on, in some capacity. You know what I mean? Because that's important to me to make sure I reach back to those brothers, you know, and get that done. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah, do you have like a like a social media or anything like that people can follow? Well, you know, it's, it's 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 crazy because I didn't even know I could just Google my name and see all this stuff on there, right? You got everything from from stuff I did with Greg McKelvey, the Still in Prison campaign, to you know, town hall meetings with the ACLU, um, interviews I did with K-Boo, Um, As far as it's, it's it's a lot of stuff that I've done on there. I didn't even realize it was on there because, like I said, I'm fresh out. I'm not really tech savvy. I'm like, oh, I didn't know this was on there. So there's a lot of stuff on there, but I I social media page i'm trying to figure that part out so you know don't please guys don't don't hate me i'm trying to figure that out um <laughs> but you could google my name and it's it is spelled t-a-c-u-m-a um j-a-c-k-s-o-n um so yeah as far as that i don't have any any well i guess i can't find someone to probably help me maybe upgrade some information stuff that may be more comprehensible <laughs> but no <laughs> 
that's pretty much as far as I got my little Facebook and pretty much um, what's what you can Google my name on, which I'm still trying to figure out myself. But it's, it's quite a bit of content on there. So, <laughs> yeah, I just really appreciate it. Is there any kind of like last words you want to leave with the audience or anything last you want to say? I just I, I want to say that um, my whole fight and everything that I'm doing, you know, out here is, is pretty much, you know, we, we try to we try to topple the systemic racism. You know, in, in, in you know, in the judicial system, out in these streets, jobs, schools, everywhere. At the end of the day, man, you know, like I said, you know, enough's enough. I mean, it, all I'm trying to do is 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 just, you know, I'm not everybody. It's not about you know conforming. It's just about being culturally enriched. You know what I mean? And I think that's what it is. Sometimes we turn blind eyes to a lot of stuff. But my whole thing is, man, and I will continue to fight this fight till you know in, in, until till the day's end. Um, is trying to get these men and women out, man, at the end of the day, because I've sat in there and I know what they're going through. I've heard these stories, you know, you can look in the eyes and, and know what's really going on with people. You can see the sincerity of people. And, and sometimes I make bad judgments sometimes, you know, I, and I think most times I make good judgments, you know, and, and I'm just was blessed to some of those men that have already gotten out, you know, Anthony Pickens, you know what I'm saying, Sterling Cuneo, you know what I'm saying, Troy Ramsey, you know, and other brothers that, and sisters that are on the way. You know, I'm just saying, man, I'm still fighting for y'all out here. You know, sometimes I might not be on the TV screen or you might not hear me on the radio or you might not, you know, you might just hear about me through the grapevine from time to time, but I'm still in the trenches and I'm still fighting for y'all to come home, man. That ain't never going to change. Uhuru. <laughs>